Welcome to the June 2011 episode of the Harvard Medical Labcast, science that's changing your world. This podcast is brought to you by Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations in Boston. I'm David Cameron. And I'm Melissa Neller. And this month, we'll look at one aspect of the debate over the rising costs of healthcare. But first, I had a chance to chat with a scientist who's engineering organisms that produce fuel and even food. Harvard Medical School Professor of Systems Biology Pam Silver is working to build a sustainable future through synthetic biology. Here's an excerpt from our conversation. What is synthetic biology? What is synthetic biology? That's an interesting question um, because I think the definition changes depending on when and who you are. For myself, I began working together with a group of computer scientists and bioengineers about 10 years ago, and they asked the question, why can't biology be easier and more predictable to engineer? And that became, for me, the defining feature of synthetic biology. So it sounds like we're now designing living organisms and systems to achieve specific goals. How did we arrive at this point, and where are we headed? I often look at the last 30 years as sort of the discovery era of biology, which was brought about by molecular biology. And now we're approaching an era where biology is the technology. And I like to think that as silicon was the technology of the last century, biology is the technology of this century. And the idea is to build things out of biology and to really think big about it. I'm building this model of what synthetic biology is in my brain here. Would it be fair to say that this is kind of the culmination of the decades of work in biology to build the different parts lists so that now we're at a point where we can take those lists and apply systematic approaches that we've learned from the fields of engineering and other areas to then synthesize life that can serve certain purposes? Yes, I think you've captured the vision very well, so that's good. I think the place where we don't quite yet know the interface is where you talked about using the principles of engineering and applying them to biology. We don't yet know if it's going to be, you know, that every system is going to behave the way we predict. And biology is notoriously unpredictable and also there is this problem that biological systems evolve. Now, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. You, could, you can use that to your advantage, but it's still somewhat unpredictable. So that's the, that's the little gray area that we're still working on. Do you enjoy that challenge? That Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's the excitement. I have heard that sustainability is really a passion of yours and that there is some way to marry these two passions that you have for synthetic biology and sustainability, which resources can be generated or conserved with synthetic biology? Well, the obvious one is, is fuel. And of course, there's enormous efforts underway in the biofuel space. A lot of that's being done in industry. We do a little bit in my own lab. But the thing that intrigues us a lot is food, food and other types of chemicals. So a lot of chemistry that's done in industry is petroleum-based. Many of these kinds of reactions 
can be done by biology so that, for example, you have an organism that only needs sunlight and water and CO2, that's a very efficient organism. And if you can get it to make drugs or food or other high-value commodities, then you've cut out the need for using petroleum. And you can imagine all kinds of things, like it could be done locally maybe as opposed to you know, only in one place. Um, are there any examples of labs, either your own or others, that are making progress in the area of either biofuels or producing food? Well, in the area of biofuels, I mean, that's not super new. There's been tremendous progress. I mean, the poster child for biofuels is the country of Brazil, where they realized many years ago that they're like the Saudi Arabia of sunlight and they can grow crops all year round, mainly sugarcane, which is an ideal source for producing ethanol. And so they converted their economy to an ethanol-based economy. But applying That's using engineered yeast to make... Um, so you could say they were doing synthetic biology before it was called synthetic biology. So the, of course there was an effort here to try to make ethanol, but that's probably not the best situation in this country because corn is not as an efficient source of energy as sugarcane. Also, we are not an ethanol-based economy, although ethanol is used as an additive in fuels. But What about in your own lab? We, in our own lab, have an interest in how do you design different kinds of organisms to make the fuels because you have the question of what's your input energy to make the fuel. And so one option, of course, is sugar. Mm -hmm. One option is sunlight. And then we have a grant where we are trying to use any kind of electricity. It could be generated in any way, and there are bacteria that can eat electricity and use that for energy. And so you could imagine a situation where you have, say, solar panels that collect the energy and then feed it to the bacteria. You also mentioned producing food and chemicals earlier. So there's a paradox in that fuel, of course, we all see as being necessary, but the the markup on fuel is very small, so the profit margin is very small. And that's why the big oil companies, they make a lot of it, right? And that's how they make money. So then there's other things that are called high-value commodities where the profit margin is much greater. So we chose sugar as a starting point. Sugar vacillates as to whether it's a high-value commodity or not, but we chose it and we were successful with it, and so that acts as sort of our prototype for... So when you say you were successful, did you engineer a bacterium? Or yes, what? we engineered one of these sunlight harvesting bacteria that are called cyanobacteria so that they use light and not much else and fix CO2 to produce sugar. And so now if you look, you see companies that originally were defined as biofuel companies sort of branching out as well with this idea of making other commodities besides fuels. So final question, where do you think we're going to be in 10 years in terms of this field? Or where would you like to where, be? I think it's better to say where would we like to be. <laughs> so I think we would like to be well beyond building these toy systems. And we would like to be building within both single cells and tissues, perhaps whole organisms, programmable processes that we understand. 
Public discussions over the rising costs of healthcare have many components. One sub-debate touches on how doctors should be paid and whether or not different payment structures lead to different health outcomes for patients. Nancy Keating, an associate professor of healthcare policy at Harvard Medical School, decided to take a closer look at that issue. She examined how patients fared in the Veterans Health Administration, otherwise known as the VHA, compared with the private sector. Doctors in the VHA are government employees, and they receive a fixed salary. Now, this is different from much of the private sector, where doctors are often paid based on how many patients they see or how many procedures they perform. In a study funded by the VHA, Keating looked specifically at outcomes for cancer patients aged 65 and older and compared those data with cancer patients from the same demographic who were treated through the Medicare-funded private sector. Keating found that veterans in the VHA fared just as well, and often better, than patients treated in the private sector. Looking in particular at some of the most common cancers found in men, VHA patients were often diagnosed earlier and had higher adjusted rates of certain treatments. For example, surgery for colon cancer and chemotherapy for lymphoma. According to Keating, care in the VHA is often better coordinated than in most other settings. Their doctors work together and communicate more effectively. And most important, there are no incentives for the overuse of cancer treatments because physicians are salaried. As the national debate continues over how to cover all Americans, the Veterans Health Administration may provide a model for keeping costs in check while providing high-quality care. Thanks for listening to the June episode. We'll leave you with a definition penned by Lester Brown, founder of World Watch Institute. A sustainable society is one which satisfies its needs without diminishing the prospects of future generations. This podcast is a production of Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations, and we'd love to hear your comments on this program. Visit our podcast website at podcast.hms.harvard.edu and tell us what you think or read what other listeners are saying. In order to learn more about Harvard Medical School, our academic and research programs, and our affiliated hospitals and research institutes, visit hms.harvard.edu.